This is the Thanks for Sharing podcast, the podcast where we explore all things recovery, healing, and relationship. Remember to subscribe and download episodes in the iTunes store, Google Play, or on the Podbean app. And while you're there, I'd love a review. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Thanks for Sharing. I'm your host, Jackie Pack. Today on the podcast, I'm going to start out a little bit differently. So I'm going to first introduce our topic, and then I'm going to introduce our guest. And I've been thinking for a while about doing some podcasts in July that have some relevance to politics. Um, Some of you may be rolling your eyes about that. Some of you may be thinking that you want to skip over this episode. I get it. Uh, Right now, I think in the United States and in many countries in the world, politics are scary for a lot of people. They're overwhelming for a lot of people. They make a lot of people angry. And that's partly why I want to do a podcast on this. Um, I think, you know, in in the intro to Thanks for Sharing, we talk about how Thanks for Sharing is a podcast for all things recovery, healing, and relationship. And I think that's an important topic to cover. And I think that's something to look at through the lens of politics, to look at recovery and relationships um, and healing. So... I understand when people hear the word politics, you know, there's just going to be a varied reaction. And I talk to a lot of people who are just like, I I don't even want to think about it. Like, I don't watch the news. I don't want to, I don't want to know what's going on. Um, Some, when they hear the word politics, you know, they think of corruption, they think of power, they think of wealth. Uh, Currently, I would say there isn't a very positive response to the word politics. And I believe we need to change that. So back in uh, December, I think it was of 2015, over on the Robcast, which is a different podcast, Rob Bell did a series on politics. I would recommend checking it out. I thought it was very well done. But I wanted to borrow some of his ideas in his first episode in that series on politics. So I'm borrowing from Rob Bell. Um, He said that the word politics has its roots in Latin and Greek. So polis equals city, politicus or polites means citizen. In the Old French, it's politique with a Q-U-E on the end. And it means of or for or relating to the citizens. So politics is about the citizens. So then polite is simply the way citizens relate to each other. Now, the word metropolis, metro, comes from the ancient word meter, which means mother, and then police equals city. So metropolis is a mother city. Cosmopolitan, not the magazine, cosmopolitan comes from the word cosmos, which means it's an ancient Greek word for the world. That's what cosmos meant, the world. And then politan comes from politis, which again is city. So cosmopolitan means world city. So when we talk about politics, we are talking about the citizens. We're talking about how citizens live together. When we talk about politics, we're talking about how we organize our shared life together because we are all in this together. There is a shared good between us that we all desire. So politics is the process. Uh, Politics is how 
we organize ourselves for our common good. And if we think about it in those terms, politics is necessary. Like we can't just say, I'm not interested in politics. I don't want to have to deal with politics uh, because politics is practical. Um, it's organized around how we live our daily life. And so it impacts us whether we want to be interested in politics or not. It's organizing how we all live together in our communities, in our cities, in our country, in our world, right? Like that is the process. Politics is the process. <clears throat> now, I think we can say, right, when we go through that history, we can see that politics itself is not a bad word. And it gets kind of a negative rap or a negative connotation. And I think we need to then talk about, we need to put an adjective in front of the word politics. We need to talk about abuse of politics that happens. Uh, we need to talk about corrupt politics that happens. Uh, but politics itself, right, is simply the process in which we organize how we live our lives. And it impacts all of us, whether we want, want to realize that or not, because it impacts how our daily life works, right? You think about things like uh, the water that we have in our house for use, right? That there's a process in which that is purified or it's uh, gone through to make sure that we're not getting impurities that are dangerous to us, right? Like how our garbage gets collected, how... Um, our po power is done, right? Like all of these things impact people on a day in, day out life. And I think we've lost some of the, that perspective on politics because of abusive politics or corrupt politics, right? But that's politics gone off key, right? That's, that's politics uh, gone awry. And so I think what I want to do in these in these episodes this month on politics. I, I don't want to do partisan politics. I think that's part of the problem with what we're seeing in our country now and how politics are handled. Um, and I think that's part of the abusive politics, right, is this divisiveness and the way that it tears people apart and can just ruin relationships, right? So I, I don't want to talk about it in a partisan way. So if you're listening, right, like I want to talk about it more in a way of like, how do we as average citizens, right? I'm an average citizen, you're an average citizen. How do we get politics back on track and back the way that it was designed so that it is working for the people and we don't have to throw our hands in the air, we don't have to feel hopeless or angry about politics when we are talking about that and we can have different conversations. I think it might need to be something that is a grassroots, right, from the bottom up, we have to change that. So now let me introduce my guest. I'm excited to have my guest on, and I think you'll enjoy the conversation. So our guest today is a former Utah Senator, then ran for Salt Lake County Mayor and became Mayor of Salt Lake County. And then in the last election in 2016, he was elected as a United States Congressman. And I think I know him pretty well. We used to share a bedroom wall growing up. and. Mm. Uh, so I'm also happy to say that he's my brother. And so I'd like to introduce our guest, Ben McAdams. Welcome, Ben. Thank you. So I wanted to talk about kind of what we were talking about. We, you and I have kind of talked a little bit before this recording, just how politics really is for everybody. And at this time in our, in our countries, particularly in the United States, we seem to be very divisive. And we're very much split into kind of a us versus them. 
and whoever, whatever side you're on, right? You're the us. And then the other people fall into the them category. And politics isn't best when it's like that. So one of the reasons I wanted to talk with you about this, number one, is because you are working um, as a United States congressman. But I wanted to talk about politics in a way that we're talking about, like, how do we all come together and how do we make politics work for everybody? Or at least most people, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I guess I would say, first of all, most people who engage politically are going to do it not as an elected official, but as a member of the public, right? Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes uh, we as members of the public have some false expectations of, of our elected officials. We expect, you know, disagreement is bad, mm -hmm. um, and we expect them to never change their mind or, you know, we want politicians, we want elected officials who will listen and, and solicit feedback from us. But sometimes when, we, when they do and their opinions may evolve and they may, uh, based on that input, change their mind, mm -hmm. we think that that's a bad thing and we'll call them out for it. And I think I've noticed this in, in my public service. I think I've always felt that it's important to do public hearings and town hall meetings and to listen to the public. And, and it's an educational process for me. And I see pitfalls in ideas that I've had. Uh, I'm willing to change my proposals to evolve in response to the feedback mm -hmm. of the constituents that I've received. And, you know, and ultimately my job right now is representative. And I say that, that that's my job title. It's also my job description. It's to represent right. my constituents. And so listening to them and being willing to, I think, humbly take feedback and input from them and then craft my ideas in response to that is a, a good and noble thing, not uh, something to deride for, right, so right. I wouldn't say one of the things we can do then as a member of the public is engage sincerely and with the goal of educating an elected official and helping them to understand your point of view. Mm -hmm. And I think that's I think that's important. The other, I guess, false expectation that sometimes we have as members of the public is we expect when there is disagreement amongst our elected officials that that's a bad thing. Right, and I'm of the belief that. The system that was created is an adversarial system. It's one where you have people from strong backgrounds with strong opinions going to hash it out. And those mm -hmm. are debates and those are result in arguments. And, and in many ways, that's to be expected. And that's the way the process is supposed to work. What's broken, I think, is when, when you see the gridlock. And I think Washington is broken today. Mm -hmm. You see gridlock. There's no no disagreement, no listening with the goal of finding agreement. And when I've been able to do things that I'm proud of, it's I sit down with somebody with a very different point of view who, you know, maybe sometimes even opposed to what I'm trying to do. We sit down, we talk, we listen to each other, and then we come to consensus. Sometimes it's compromise. Sometimes I'm willing to give a little bit on my position mm -hmm. to find middle ground with somebody else. But better than compromise is consensus. When mm -hmm. I see their point of view and realize that there was maybe a gap in my understanding or a gap in my proposal and they saw it because of their background and their perspective and I wasn't able to see it and I, we can fix it and we can tweak whatever I was working on or proposing to fill that gap that they saw and they were concerned about and then you have consensus where mm -hmm. we, we both agree mm -hmm. um, in a modified proposal, new proposal that's better. And I guess one thing I would say is if we're observing this process through the eyes of the public, recognize that you're going to see in through the news media or social media, whatever, you see that disagreement. That disagreement isn't something to be disgusted by unless it's disagreement for the sake of gridlock and right. childish disagreement. Right. But healthy disagreement, mature disagreement, 
is actually a really good thing. That means the process is working as long as we hold our elected officials accountable to ultimately finding common ground and finding solutions. Arthur Brooks is, um, wrote, has a book that's out right now that I've been reading. And in that book, he says, what we need in, I'm paraphrasing, what we need in, in political life is not less disagreement. What we need is better disagreement. Mm. We need to hold people accountable to disagreeing constructively. They, they have strong opinions. They should vigorously advocate those opinions, but do it in a constructive way with the goal of finding solutions and common ground. So mm-hmm. to, to summarize, I think two misconceptions, we expect people to never disagree and to never change their mind. When in reality, we do want them to disagree just to do it maturely and constructively. And we do want people to change their mind and let's allow people to have that disagreement. It's healthy disagreement is not what's broken about our system. It's unhealthy disagreement mm-hmm. and a willingness to listen and to modify their uh, ideas and stances is a sign that the system works, not that it's broken. Yeah, I like that. Let's talk, before we we talk um, some current stuff, let's talk a little bit about what brought you into this field and why this was a pathway you chose. Well, I think it probably started, I'm a middle child, right? So um, (laughs) the classic middle child of, I think always trying to appease and and to, and bring people together, mm-hmm. um, and I you know I think that's a skill set that served me well in this line of work, is is trying to forge common ground. I also you know I think I have an inner desire to to make the world a better place, to contribute mm-hmm. to my community where I'm where I am, whether it's my you know as a state senator or as a mayor, and now uh, in the United States Congress, it's to to give what I can to making our community better. And that's, you know, I, I, my sister is in social work, so mm-hmm. maybe it's something that's innate in our DNA or upbringing, right. that desire to give back. But that's something that does drive me is a desire to make our community a better place. And then I think I've found that I have, a, you know, some unique skills that, that can contribute to that. Yeah. Lately, I, I read an article recently um, where you were quoted in, you know, in Utah, the LDS Church has a pretty solid welfare program um, that's available to members of the church who are in need. And you've lately, I think it was in The Guardian, was it in The Guardian? Something like Something that, Something like yeah. that, that you were, you know, they talked about a lot of public representatives don't want to talk about that side and that you've been one who's been open about the fact that our family was on church welfare, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Not necessarily public welfare, but we were on church welfare and and that it actually impacted our family in a way that helped our mom get out of an abusive relationship, kind of get back on her feet as a school teacher with six kids that she was having to support with no guarantee, right, that our dad would offer any support or care about that. Mm -hmm. And so I think Sometimes in politics, we have this idea, like the reason sometimes people roll their eyes is because they think that politics is maybe a game that the elite play, right? Or that it's something outside of the average citizen's reach. And I think one of the things, you know, about you and and there's other representatives and there's other, you know, national leaders who have talked about their story and talked about how that wasn't their path into this leadership, right? And that this isn't necessarily just kind of a game of power that they play. Um, can you say anything just about that and maybe how your background there led to... Yeah, I think, I mean, one of the things that being now holding several different offices that I've seen, there is that kind of perception too that these are 
elitist, powerful individuals who are in public service. And, and there is some of that, and I think there's too much of that, yeah. right? Where I think I read a comment that was talking about you and your offshore accounts can like, you know, like <laughs> stick it basically, right? And I was yeah. kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah no okay. offshore accounts, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I think, uh, especially in a legislative body, I think this is some of the magic of American democracy, is we um, gave a platform for everybody from any walk of life to to contribute. And, mm-hmm. and what I've seen in, you know, as mayor, I was in the executive branch, and that's a little bit different type of service, but in the state Senate and now in Congress, legislative bodies are comprised of people from literally every part of this country, mm-hmm. with probably every per- representing almost every perspective in this country, uh, both socioeconomically, ethnically, uh, you know, different histories, different mm-hmm. faiths. And um, I think that is actually what makes the legislative body strong. When I talked about you know, people who can see around my corners and see gaps in my ideas and my thinking. And if I'm willing to humbly listen and incorporate that, be it Republican or Democrat, our ideas get better. Mm-hmm. And the moments when our country has done amazing things, I think it is because we have that collaborative spirit that we recognize that our what's different about us is what makes us strong. You know, and so my background, you know, certainly not one of privilege. I, you know, uh, as a, as a, child we you, you mentioned this is you know typical but in in divorce and family was frequently or occasionally probably without health care i remember mm-hmm. power getting shut off mm-hmm. or water getting shut off at different times or sometimes hours away from doing that mm-hmm. and having to pay the bill that day and some of that scare being scared as right. a kid not knowing what's happening when somebody comes to shut off mm-hmm. your i don't remember if it was water or power or both but or not having the groceries to, you know, I remember at the end of the month, it was rice and butter and right. salt and pepper, you know. I, was... I talk to my kids sometimes about what I ate as a kid, and they're just like, that's not even a meal. And I'm like, yeah. it was in my house. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, when I started, I was in college, and uh, I had to work, you know, two or three part-time jobs mm-hmm. simultaneously to save up for my tuition and to pay for college. And I started, I, I wanted to go to, decided I wanted to go to law school, but I needed to probably have some extracurricular activities on my resume my grades weren't bad, but they weren't 4.0. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think largely because I was working so hard and, and you know having to squeeze that in on top of school. So my grades were, were okay, but I felt like if I wanted to go to law school, I probably needed to build out my extracurricular. And so I decided that I wanted to do, I did an internship in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. And I remember then scrapping and saving and, you know, a few tricks that I did. I had to, I had a, a car. I was living with mom and commuting to school and um, so I needed my car but I couldn't afford to have a car payment and also uh, sustain myself in Washington I Mm -hmm. refinanced my car for no reason other than when you refinance you skip a month's payment (laughs) so it saved me $200 at that point I also started um, probably actually after my internship and I came back from my internship and started volunteering for a political campaign and politics doesn't pay well so the campaign I think probably was three or four dollars an hour basically mm-hmm. I got a um, a monthly salary I think it was like a thousand dollars a month or something and then I got a, a stipend from a, a grant or something to help pay for that but it, it equated to probably three or four dollars an hour so I started uh, donating plasma uh-huh, I remember yeah so um, it would pay twenty dollars each time but on the fourth time it paid fifty dollars so if you could keep up a pretty good pace you could you could yeah had to have several days spacing between mm-hmm. it but I think you get two times a week right. so it would be 
you know, $110 every two weeks. Um, so I would do that. And I liked that because I could actually do my reading and my homework and that uh, while I was hooked up to the right. plasma machine. I remember much later as I was um, in office and people were asking me my background, uh, sometimes people would say, so, you know, what do your parents do? Is, is politics in your blood? And I would kind of <laughs> laugh and say, uh, yeah, maybe a little bit. <laughs> but, you know, I think mom and dad voted yeah. Maybe not every time, but that was... Mom probably, more than dad, probably. Yeah, that was probably the extent of, of our their political engagement. Yeah. But, you know, I felt like this was a, a place where I could I could give back. I could, I could make a difference. I think my first political experience, though, you took me to volunteer for a candidate who was running. Yeah. Um, I was still in high school. I think you were a couple... You, uh, you know, yeah, four years college, older than yeah. me, so you were in college and took me to volunteer. And I thought it was interesting. You know, I didn't ever envision maybe doing it running for office Mm -hmm. but I guess here I am yeah yeah it's interesting how those paths kind of reach out and grab you and you didn't necessarily see it coming so one of the things I want to tell listeners who probably aren't familiar with you and the work that you've done is I mean we do live in a very red state we're one of the reddest states right Utah's a very red state and when you were first running uh, for county mayor was it 2012? Yeah. Yeah. So it was a presidential election year, right? And the Republican candidate that year was Mitt Romney. And so he's really popular here in Utah, right? A, a lot of Utahns, even though he hasn't really lived here in Utah, he wouldn't necessarily be a native. Um, a lot of people identify with him, I think, just because of his LDS affiliations and feel like he's kind of their guy. And so the other thing in Utah is um, a lot of Utahns vote straight ticket, right? You can do that in Utah. And so a lot of people just vote straight red ticket. And so I remember as you were, you know, campaigning that year, you realized that you had to get people to cross over. Like even if they voted all red, you needed them to at least cross over and vote blue for you. And and so I want to talk a little bit about kind of what you learned from that. Now, also, I will add uh, in 2016 when you ran again, another presidential year, you kind of give me a lot of stress when you do that, but mm-hmm. like, so as another presidential year, uh, the Democratic candidate in 2016 was not well liked here in Utah at all, and so again, you were kind of in one of those situations where you were going to have to get. You ran into also a very conservative district, and so you were going to have to get voters to vote for you and and cross maybe their typical voting pattern in in order to do that. What did you learn? through that process and and what, I mean, some of that, right, maybe goes into what you've already said, listening and having town hall meetings, but maybe what would you talk about that you don't see happening very much, which is, which keeps people from kind of coming to the center and listening? Well, first of all, so I'm a Democrat, as people probably can infer, but um, I also, I don't like parties. I see them as kind of a necessary evil. When you have, when you're running for office, you, you have to pick a party, mm-hmm. probably legally you have to pick a party, but just even pragmatically you have to pick a party to, mm-hmm. to run. And in our country, really, there's two that you have to affiliate with yeah. right now in order to get to that level. For the most part, yeah. right. And so, you know, I, I run as a Democrat. I, I, I'm not a dyed-in-the-wool, this, this is my team, this mm-hmm. is my tribe. If you're not on my team, you're bad. If you are on my team, you're good. Because I think there are good ideas in both parties, there are good people in both parties, and there are bad ideas and bad people mm-hmm. in both parties. So, you know, I think the first key for me was to just be authentic and true to who I am. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I one thing I've, you know, at the point that I was running, for example, in 2012, 
Um, I'd been in the state senate for four years, and you learn pretty quickly. There's no you know position you take in one crowd and a different position in another. Mm. The world's too small, especially in the age of social media, and everybody has a camera and a phone. You got to be honest. You got to mm-hmm. be true to yourself in every environment. Fortunately, that's who I am. But I felt like you know I needed to be true to myself, and and I think people have a pretty good. BS radar Mm -hmm. these days that they know if you're not being authentic and authenticity is what people want. Sometimes they may disagree with you Mm -hmm. with your positions too, but if you're authentic and true, uh, I think they like that. So when I ran, I think I ran with that, that I, I, you know, I, uh, some of our, I, our tagline in 2012 was he's different. Mm -hmm. And we talked about, you know, it was everything from maybe a little bit quirky or poking fun at myself or, uh, things like that to, some policy things. I, you know, while I am a Democrat, I believe in fiscal responsibility. I think mm-hmm. government should live within its means. That taxes should be the last place of recourse for anything. You should always look to to cut or reappropriate funding from other places. So fiscal responsibility was something important to me that maybe differentiated me from some, not all mm-hmm. Democrats, and also some Republicans, but not all Republicans. So, right. You know, we talked about that. Um, it was a it was a year where, when I was running, people said there's no way that he can win. The area I was running to represent, running to represent about 1.1 million people. Um, it did. It does. Utah is a very red state. The uh-huh. district, Salt Lake County, was less red, but still red. And uh, it was the year in which Romney was very popular and expected to win overwhelmingly, and mm-hmm. he did win the state of Utah. Mm-hmm. He didn't mm-hmm. win the presidency, but won the state of Utah overwhelmingly. Um, in that same year, almost one out of three people who voted for Romney also voted for me. Mm. And I think, you know, that I think I hoped I'd like to think that people saw who I was and that I wasn't going to just go and be a representative of either party, but I was going to go and represent Utah first. And mm-hmm. in 2016, I was running for reelection. That was also a year where, you know, presidential years have a, a certain probably more partisan nature to it than other years um, but people had seen I think that I had done a good job I had pretty good approval ratings and that and was elect reelected so the first year I was elected a, a pleasant surprise for me is public service whether it's state senate sometimes people think and there are elitists but you know from the state senate to local government to congress is full of a lot of just ordinary people and ordinary people from both sides of the aisle who want to do good. And mm-hmm. they may have different opinions about what good is and how to do good, but I think there are a lot of good people. And for the most part, accessible people. Mm-hmm. You know, I, um, I have open office hours. Now, my time is spread thin, and I represent 800,000 people, so I can't meet with every one of them. But we try to make time to meet. I meet with people. This week I met with... A college student who was concerned about an issue, you know, met with a group of um, farmers who were concerned about some issues. And, you know, I think you can, your elected mm-hmm. official is approachable and you can meet with them. You can engage with them by email, social media, Twitter. You know, I generally, I don't respond to every message, unfortunately, but I try to, and, or my staff does. Um, I would say reach out. People are accessible and you can engage with them. The other thing I would say is hold your elected officials accountable to a standard. Mm-hmm. Now that standard isn't you agree with me in all cases and if you disagree I'm going to burn you to the ground. Mm-hmm. But I think first of all I would hold them to a standard of you know I I've been in Washington now 6 months and trying to diagnose what's wrong and how to fix it. And I've come to the conclusion while there are some bad actors on both sides, there's so many good people on both sides 
but we find I think they find themselves doing small things that individually isn't what's broken about Washington but if you have 500 elected officials all doing small things that are destructive it adds up to a broken Washington mm -hmm. so I hear some of my colleagues who I know are good people who I have good relationships with we work together and then I see them stand up on the floor and say the Republicans are this and this and this and or the Democrats this and this and this bill is broken because the Democrats mm -hmm. and I just hear that language of tribalism mm -hmm. that is and those so, are loud voices those are loud voices and in the individual maybe that's not enough to break it but if everybody's doing that and the message we're sending to our constituents is the other side is bad and evil and they hate America mm -hmm. and our side is always good and always loves America um, you know that we break the system it's mm -hmm. small acts of aggression that in the individual maybe aren't that big of a deal but in the aggregate is, is what breaks it mm -hmm. and so one of the things that I've said is I will never use tribal language you know I'm not going to use that language of Democrats or Republicans and, and there are going to be times that I disagree but I'll always state that person's name mm -hmm. you know disagree again disagreements okay right, we right. want to disagree we don't need less disagreement we need better disagreement so I can say representative a I disagree with your position and here's why but um, always individualize it and not tribalize it and the second thing is is always give your colleagues the benefit of the doubt that their intentions are pure mm. never it's never because you are a racist you are anti-american you are when you when you go to a personal attack on somebody's intentions that breaks it mm -hmm. and it's small acts of that over time multiplied by 500 elected officials that break plus the media and that that mm -hmm. breaks it so if you can individualize it on a political point or a philosophical point not on a character trait that can elevate our, our disagreements mm -hmm. to be healthier and more constructive and to say I disagree with you representative a because I think you're missing what you're not seeing is that this problem right here and you, you can't forget this mm -hmm. and, and I think that can help to fix it so that's you know I think Part of why I'm there is why, you know, this is why I've been successful as a Democrat in a conservative state like Utah. It's always recognizing the dignity of the individual and their and their motivations for serving mm -hmm. and, and giving them the benefit of the doubt that their motivations are the same as mine. Mm -hmm. And uh, and ultimately listening with an ear to then find agreement. So one story, and I, I think I've shared this with you before since the, this story happened, but I remember, it's one of my favorite stories uh, about you and it you know it's something I've kind of remembered as both of us have gotten older and I've kind of watched you in your career and doing different things that you do and and so I it, I was I think I was newly married and you would have been I don't know like graduating high school or something like that and you came by our apartment and I was home my husband wasn't home at the time and I was home and you and I were just kind of talking as I was like fixing dinner and and you mentioned I remember you sitting kind of up on the counter and talking to me and, and you said that one of the things uh, that you thought I was lucky as a girl, right, is that when I got married, I didn't have to keep my maiden name and I got to change my name. And that as a male, you like this, the tradition, right, is that you keep your surname. And you were just saying like, I don't really have a lot of pride in my surname. Do you remember this? Mm -hmm. And uh, you said, 
Because of our dad. And, yeah, because yeah. of our dad. And and it's not like McAdams is a super popular name, right? Like, I mean, now there's like Rachel McAdams and a few other, but at the time, like we were the only ones in the phone book, right? And I remember both you and I had done, we were kind of talking about this, both of you and I were like, okay, so if, if it's not there with our dad, like let's look back further and find kind of the pride in the name, right? Nothing against McAdams out there in the country, right? Mm-hmm. But the, the origins weren't all that great either. Like there was some horse thieving and, you know, escaping the law, different things yeah. like that. And so we were just kind of like, oh, okay, great, right? And, and I remember you saying, like, I guess if I can't change it, uh, like just get a different last name, right? Have a different surname, then I've got to bring honor to it. Like if, if it starts with me, you're the oldest boy in our family. We have three girls, three boys. You were the oldest boy, and you said, if I have to change it um, by bringing honor to it, then that's what I'm going to do. And, you know, I mean, at the time, you're like 19, right? And so, and I was like 24. So I was kind of like, well, good for you. Good on you, right? Like, go do that. And I remember several years later, you were student body president, I think, at the University of Utah. And you made like a, I went out to get my newspaper out of the driveway, and like you were there kind of on the front front page picture of you sitting on the Capitol steps in Utah. And I was like, I, I flashed back to that memory of you saying that in my kitchen. And I was like, good for you, right? And I mean, I, I will f- say, like, I think all of my brothers have brought honor to the mm-hmm. McAdams name and that <clears throat> the grandkids, their kids, my kids don't feel the way that we did about our surname. And, and so I think you also, I've watched you with that, like kind of take that charge that you gave yourself and and do something with that right and and as we're talking about politics and kind of saying like politics isn't a bad thing like so many of us are fed up with politics and we have to kind of remind ourselves like politics is not a bad thing right it's the process of coming together and organizing how we live in communities and that's a good thing and if we look to our leaders to do that right if we hold them accountable to doing that then we can start to reclaim politics as something that is working. Yeah, I think um, I think there's, I guess the irony is is, you know, when you go into politics, a lot of people don't like you. <laughs> they too. smear so, your name, yeah. right? <laughs> so hopefully, hopefully my kids have some, you know, at least at least some pride in the name. But I think that's always something that's been important to me is to be able to look myself in the mirror and be proud of of what I do and the decisions I make mm-hmm. and the service that I give. But I think, yeah, I think public service it can be a noble thing and and giving back to our community and and I would like to think that I've served in a way and continue to serve in a way that elevates the notion of, of public service I think maybe that's a little bit about what's wrong with Washington too is um, we're always tearing each other down it's no mm-hmm. wonder Congress has an approval rating that's lower than the flu you know right. and uh, it's because we spend so much time and money in campaigns of tearing down the institution, tearing down the, the country that we love and the institution. Mm-hmm. Uh, and look, I think there's a lot of blame to be laid at the Congress and mm-hmm. at Washington, but uh, we can change that. We have to change that. Or, you know, I don't know where, where we go if we don't figure mm-hmm. out how to fix that and, and to change that. So, yeah, I think that it is the process. It's, it's an adversarial process by design. It's a process that has helped us to cure diseases it's you know sent put humans on the moon we'll put humans Mm -hmm. on mars it's an incredible system that has created prosperity and health and quality of life for humanity Mm -hmm. across the globe it's a system that's been copied 
by hundreds of countries around the globe to give people freedom of thought, freedom of religion, freedom uh, to be true to yourself and safety and you know peace and prosperity. There's something to be proud of with that, and I think that's right. I think that's that's the system we have. Um, we've got we've got a little bit of some sickness right now, but but I think um, it is something that we can be proud of. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for your time. Thank you. The legal stuff. This podcast is solely for the purpose of information and entertainment, and does not constitute therapy, nor should it replace competent professional help. The prayer of the perfectionist. Nobody has time for perfection. We are pursuing progress. Help me to remember the only step I need to focus on is the next right step for me. Help me to remember that life is a journey. Help me to be able to separate all that I am learning from all that I have to do. Help me to remember that I am not alone. I can ask for help. Help me to strive for frequent awakenings, not mastery. I am enough. Amen.